I'm Gabriela Fresquez for Radar 2021. Last summer, Black Lives Matter protests following the murder of George Floyd led to a wave of national self-reckoning. And one area of society that's been held to the fire is our education system. Across the country, teachers introduced radical concepts like systemic racism. Schools mandated anti-bias trainings for staff and lesson plans expanded to include the experiences of marginalized groups. And people got mad, like really mad. Who pays your salary? You're teaching children to hate others because of their skin color. There's no subject where this debate has become more heated than with history. And our Eurocentric approach to education has a tendency to misrepresent or erase less flattering parts of our past. A lot of people don't know that even though there was not formal segregation of Mexican children, and when I say Mexican here, I mean Mexican-American, there was informal segregation. My ancestors in Texas had to go to the Mexican school. It was under the auspices of, oh, they don't speak English. But even when that was not the case, the Mexican kids were made to go to the other school. We as Americans understand that basic story about African-American history and the fight for African-American equality. But Americans don't have a very strong sense of what would be the comparable story for the Latino population, you know. We have migrated because of the imperial activities by the U.S. in Central America and in the Spanish Caribbean and in Mexico. We're here because you were there. Take this example from just six years ago when a McGraw-Hill textbook was blasted online for referring to the Atlantic slave trade as bringing over millions of workers from Africa to the southern United States. Last I checked, the employee benefits in 1842 rural Alabama weren't especially appealing. These workers, of course, were slaves. And this is just one singular but significant example of how our education system looks at history through a white lens. Teaching a revisionist version of our past completely contradicts the reason we studied history in the first place. To learn from our past to inform our present, right? Why study history? Why do we study history? Why do we study the past? The reality is that in that history, we all come in at different points and in different ways into that history. And we don't always share the origins of that history, even though we're sharing this present moment. And we have to understand those different paths in order to reconcile them and into order to be empathetic to each other, to understand the different ways we arrived where we are now in order to move forward. We can't move forward if we pretend we all got to where we are the same way. It's incumbent on us to show those different paths, to show those different routes, and allow students to not only empathize with it and understand it, but then see for themselves the situation we are in now and the multiple paths we have out of it. In today's American public school system, where you live has a lot to do with what historical narrative you're taught. And that's not by accident. In 2020, the New York Times analyzed textbooks in both California and Texas with the same publishers and authors and found that the books were customized to reflect political divisions, which explains why Americans still debate whether the primary cause of the Civil War was states' rights or slavery. 
and why I'll be homeschooling all of my future children. I think that with anything, when you're teaching something, if you're not teaching the truth, uh, the lies just keep piling up and piling up and piling up until the point where people are tired of the lie. You can't educate properly unless you're educating about what is real and what has really happened. There are a lot of ugly things that took place to shape America. And that's a reality. And trying to pretend that it's not is a mistake. It's a, it's a silly thing to do to deny it. And it, had, it does nothing for progress. And so, you know, in terms of educating the generation that's coming up, we must give them the truth. And we must allow them to process that truth. The system has been broken for so long and there's, there's absolutely been a calculated bias in terms of where those dollars get spent uh, for education. And it's no secret and no, nothing hard to understand that predominantly where minority communities or impoverished communities exist, those dollars are not being spent on education. And, and, and I think it's the biggest mistake we make as a country. I think by, by having an uneducated population, we allow for greater and, and more damaging mistakes to continue to be made because we don't have a populace that, that's been taught how to think. Challenging traditional historical narratives continues to spark controversy. We need critical race theory because we need real history. And that's probably because learning U.S. history hasn't always been about understanding the facts of what happened, but rather the facts that flatter the victors. We have to recognize from the, in the United States, it is a race-based society. The founding of it was from the, from the genocide of indigenous people and then the exploitation of enslaved Africans. And then we found this country that considers itself to be a world power uh, based off of exploitation. It really, racism is baked into everything that exists. If people actually take account of America's history, for what it is, a lot of people will be highly disgusted and want to do something about it. But that would mean that power would have to change. That would mean that there would be there would be social issues that could no longer fly. And it would mean that white power, whether it's extreme or implicit, that power would have to be redistributed. That's scary and change is scary and people don't want to do that work. So the best way to get people to not do work is to be very loud about something that's not actually a problem. American textbooks have a habit of teaching history the same way influencers use Instagram. Filter out all the bad stuff and facetune the really bad stuff. Remember the story of the Battle of the Alamo during the Texas Revolution? Well, forget it because much like an Instagram model's frown lines, a few pertinent details might have been blurred. This all grew out of a column I wrote about Texas needing to rebrand itself. We cannot have the image of the long, tall, white cowboy uh, fighting and enslaving people of color as our brand anymore. The Alamo has been used to create the myth of Texas exceptionalism. What they don't uh, teach you in school was that there were uh, Tejanos fighting alongside a lot of these uh, Anglo te uh, Texans. So for a long time, many generations, kids would grow up in Texas, and if you were white, you were one of the good guys, and if you were brown, you were one of the bad guys. And 
they didn't tell you that a lot of those Anglo settlers were in Texas in the first place because the cotton growing land was a lot cheaper and they needed slaves to, to farm the cotton and Mexico wanted to outlaw slavery. That was the crux of the conflict. We are questioning the morality and validity of the Texas creation myth. And it's kind of hard to tell you just how personally Texans take that myth. And so if we're out here with a book saying, oh, actually all those things that make you different, yeah, people just wanted to own slaves. Uh, that That is personally offensive to them and they just want to silence us. Governor Greg Abbott endorsed the cancellation of the Forget the Alamo event, which is interesting considering earlier this year, Abbott went after social media companies for censorship and lambasted the concept of cancel culture. Abbott has also been promoting patriotic education for Texans, and in June, he signed a bill ushering in the 1836 project, which many historians have labeled as pure political propaganda. This is a version of the response to the 1619 project that was run by the New York Times a couple of years ago. And the, the broader category you see in this legislation is the category of what they call patriotic education. In terms of a study of the past and uh, looking at it for uh, what it is, both you know, positive and negative, uh, on balance, a view that's trying to create a patriotic history of the past might not uh, speak to some of the negative aspects of that history. And so with the emphasis on, on patriotic education, the 1836 project promises to avoid or, or obscure those more troubling parts of the past, beginning with slavery, the attacks on indigenous communities in Texas, and uh, the, the conquest, essentially, of Mexican territory in 1836. Abbott's bill seems to be a deliberate attempt to go after the latest boogeyman in the world of conservative punditry, critical race theory. Critical race theory is racism, pure and simple. And it should be rejected by every American of every race. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. But despite assertions that critical race theory, or CRT, is an attempt by leftist commies to infiltrate America's sewer system to terrorize your young children in broad daylight, it's actually far less thrilling than that. Prepare to be radicalized, y'all. Critical race theory is an academic framework. It dates from the 1970s and originated in law schools and essentially holds that racial inequality is woven into our legal systems and our structures in the United States, that it negatively affects people of color and that it's more than just individual hatred or individual prejudices. In the 1970s, we have one of the first writers whose, um, whose work became part of critical race theory, Derek Bell, who was a professor at Harvard Law School. And he expressed frustration with the civil rights movement, some of the legislation that came out of it, some of the court victories. He thought they didn't go far enough, that they had all of these kind of great wins for African-Americans in particular, but that racial injustice still existed because it was embedded in the law in, in ways that civil rights movement hadn't addressed. Um, and so the idea was that race consciousness and continuing to talk about race was going to be important to moving forward. 
The term critical race theory has become kind of a catch-all phrase for conservatives for um, really any way of talking about systemic racism in the present. Critical race theory has become the center of the latest battle in the culture wars over how American students should be taught. Your average American citizen has no idea what it is. Your average teacher, no idea. But it doesn't matter if you create a buzzword and you create this, you, 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 like you fear monger, then people will jump and they will attack and they won't even know why or what for. But it doesn't matter because now they have a new cause to fight for. And, you know, it makes them feel good. <laughs> Recently, at least five Republican-led state legislatures have passed bans on CRT-related topics and conservatives in roughly 17 other states are introducing similar measures. The 1619 Project is a long-form Pulitzer Prize-winning journalism initiative by the New York Times, aiming to reframe history since the arrival of the first enslaved people to the United States 400 years ago. For many conservatives, it's turned into a lightning rod of controversy. Um, so there was some controversy over the uh, the tenuring of journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. Um, she's uh, kind of the figurehead of the 1619 Project. Many feel Nicole Hannah-Jones was denied tenure at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill due to conservative members of the school's board of trustees. People were feeling that that was kind of like an attack on academic freedom. I think that in terms of higher education broadly, she has more accolades just as one person than most journalism departments across the country. The backlash towards critical race theory not only affects higher education, but also could impact the learning of school-aged children. As these laws are being passed, I think that a lot of Black students are going to get the message that they really need to shut up about their uh, perspectives. If they're talking about some of the racism that they have experienced, whether it's directly in terms of in, you know individual or if it's systemic. I'm asking people on the streets if they even know what critical race theory is, and if they think we should teach the history of American racism in the classroom. Yeah, I do. I'm actually um, an elementary education teacher. So yeah, I do like highly suggest that we do because the more we're educated, the more that we're aware. Yes, I think kids should know about that. The, you know, how wrong it was, but then how and why it started, just kind of learn the history before. Yes, most definitely. It's a part of the history of America. You know, I think everything should, you know, be taught that that happened. It's important, you know, to know the foundation of things and how it all started and how we all got to this point. Colonialism is undeniably a part of history. It should be taught in schools. Us as humans, you know, we need to learn to live and lead with love. So I think they should think about that, you know, that it's all about love and treating people equally. What do you think about them introducing legislation that would basically limit the teaching of racism in this country? I think already we're very limited in what we can teach, so I don't suggest that. The idea that discussing systemic racism demonizes or guilt trips white people not only sounds completely illogical and counterproductive, it feels like a deliberate distraction from making any real progress on racial justice issues. We will not be distracted by these divisive efforts to stoke fear and not allow us to teach our babies. The National Education Association and the three million members that we represent have long believed that we must be honest with our students. We know that any laws that are, are proposed or certainly any laws that uh, are have been passed 
that we as educators will stand up and we will always fight against any, any attempt to censor us as educators to teach that truth. I started to become popular once I made honest content about honestly how I felt in the moment about certain issues. Instead of debating people, why don't I agree with them, but in a very hyperbolic fashion. I went to a school board meeting pretending to be a Trump supporter. This school board is not teaching critical race theory. They're teaching DEI. It's called diversity, equity, and inclusion. So this school board got death threats. They came there to harass and intimidate. I came there dressed like them to, to make a speech. The progressives in the audience immediately knew that I was doing satire. Just because I don't know anything about critical race theory, it doesn't mean I can't talk about critical race theory. <laughs> I mean, come on. The conservatives had no idea. Like I said, we need to stop the forced indoctrination in our schools and right after that, we need to mandate that everyone stands for the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> One side, cheering, clapping, standing ovation. The other side, laughing at them, saying, wait, how is? how did you not pick up on this? Despite all of the controversy, progress in public school education is being made. Earlier this year, California became the first state to offer an ethnic studies curriculum model for high school educators. In New Jersey, the Cherry Hill School District made African American studies a mandatory high school course requirement. And starting in 2022, Connecticut will begin requiring high schools to offer African American, Black, Puerto Rican, and Latino studies. To preserve the history of people of color, the Smithsonian Institute has announced a new museum dedicated to Latinx history. It's called the National Museum of the American Latino, and it will primarily be focused on history, culture, and the arts, and science. It's uh, in its inaugural stages now. Congress passed the legislation in December of last year, 2020. With so much work to be done, it won't be open for 10 to 12 years. In the meantime, we are opening the Molina Family Latino Gallery at the National Museum of American History. Eduardo and the Smithsonian are working hard to make sure Latinx history gets the credit it deserves in our cultural institutions. Latinos have played a foundational role in literally building this country and shaping its national culture. We are foundational to the telling of the story of this country, of its history and its cultural development, of its economic growth. What would be uh, United States without salsa, right? Both the music and the condiment, right? Despite what we're taught in school, many of the world's greatest advancements have come from non-Eurocentric cultures. So, in case you didn't know, now you know. Hey, did you know that Latinos have been excluded from the history books? Well, this one's for you. Do you know what the chromoscopic adapter for television is? Well, I didn't know either until I did my research. Meet Guillermo Gonzalez Camarena, who at 23 invented, guess what? The color TV. Yep, that very long word that I mentioned is alias color TV. So, Guillermito, this one's for you. Up next is Jovita Idar, who was a Mexican-American Texan who was not only a World War I nurse, a teacher, an editor, a journalist, but she was also a suffragist who fought for the rights of women, and not only all women, but Mexican women. Her quote says, you educate one woman, you educate an entire family. Jovita, you are amazing, and this one's for you. 
Meet Mexican chemist Mario Molina, who discovered that chemicals in everyday household items, such as hairspray, cause damage to the ozone layer. He won in 1995 the Nobel Prize in Chemistry, and in 2012, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Honor. Mario Molina, this one's for you. Up next is Luis Ernesto Miramontes, a Mexican chemist who at the age of 26 invented the contraceptive pill. At first this was credited to a bunch of white guys, but nowadays many people give all the credit to Luis Ernesto. So Luis Ernesto, on behalf of women worldwide, including myself, this one's for you. And remember, if we don't tell our own stories, no one else will. And this one's for you. If my education had stopped at middle school, I would still believe that Christopher Columbus discovered America, that MLK solved racism, and that Santa Claus was white. Because duh, we all know Santa Claus was Mexican. Reckoning with our past is gonna take more than a social studies chapter on Harriet Tubman or Cesar Chavez. Ultimately, we have to decide what we consider to be the actual purpose of learning history. Is it to encourage nationalistic pride by presenting a more favorable version of our past? or to examine it transparently so we can, I don't know, learn from it? For everyone's sake, I hope it's the latter. I'm Gabriela Fresquez for Radar 2021. Thanks for watching Radar 2021. Please like, subscribe, and comment down below and let us know what issues are important to you. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of issues to choose from. <laughs> so, so many.